You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts are wild to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So last week, we started a a two-week series just looking at the subject of tithing and giving. And and last Sunday, we looked at from the historic and prophetic books in the Old Testament all the way back to the patriarchs, um, just at what place does tithing have? Uh, We concluded that the tithing is all about worshiping God correctly. And in the Old Testament, tithing is mentioned. Um, we don't have specific commands about repeatedly tithing. Uh, it's associated with vows. But now we're going to turn to try to answer the question, is there continuity or discontinuity between the Old and New Testament when it comes to the issue of tithing and giving? So it's a very important question to first consider what did the Old Testament say? But now, how does that translate? How does that carry over uh, for each of us as Christians and as we think of the ministry of the church? Uh, And so in order to do that, uh, I first want to take a quick view at tithing or references to tithing in the New Testament. Uh, And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And when we first stop to just take a brief look at references to tithing in the New Testament, there are only two direct references to tithing by Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, The first one is here in Matthew 23. And if you go down to verse 23, Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the Pharisees. And in verse 23, we read, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more weighty matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus refers to the practices of the Pharisees, which as we saw last week, followed this multi-tier tithing. So they gave 10%, not just of one thing, but they gave 10% of each of their spices. And, and all Jesus says in reference to that is they were guilty of ignoring the weightier parts of the law. And at the same time, he says they should continue with what they were doing. And that was tithing off their spices. The second only direct reference to tithing by Jesus is if you want to look at this, you can look at Luke chapter 18. And in Luke 18, you have the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee who go to the temple to pray. So in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 are the parable, which you're probably familiar with. Uh, only the tax collector goes away justified. But, but in Luke chapter 18, look with me at verse 12. So here is only the second direct reference to tithing off the lips of Jesus. In verse 12, Jesus describing the Pharisee says that the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So he references tithing, but really the parable is not about tithing, it's about humility. So in a way, it's a secondary point in the parable because the parable is emphasizing the attitude one comes before God's presence. So in considering those two examples where Jesus does use the word tithe or giving a tenth, it's very clear that Jesus never commanded tithing in the New Testament, nor did he ever tell someone to stop tithing or cease from tithing. So just, just kind of think about that. Jesus never commanded tithing, but then at the same time, he never told someone to stop tithing, nor did he tell someone to start tithing or to cease from tithing. Now, all of this will help us when our goal is, as fully mature Christians, to, to be clear, what does the scripture teach? Is there continuity with the Old Testament or discontinuity? Now, there's another example of tithing. If, uh, if you'd like to turn there, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And this would be the only other specific example to tithing in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 7. And you look just briefly at verses 1 through 10, and we'll go down to the end of this passage, verses 9 and 10. You have a reference to tithing, but referring to that historical example where Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And so as, as the writer of Hebrews reports this incident, and, and his purpose here is comparing the priesthood of Melchizedek was superior to the Levitical priesthood. And so verses 9 and 10, it says, one might even say that Levi 
who collects the tenth paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So there you have a reference to tithing, but, but not necessarily commanding, prohibiting it, but reporting to us the difference between the priesthood of the Levites and the priesthood of Melchizedek, which points us to Jesus Christ. So you may be wondering, well, does that really help us at all? Well, yes and no. So, so in other words, what we see is what did Jesus mean then when he said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law? How, do, how does that relate to, to tithing or, or giving? Uh, and Jesus clearly was not saying he is walking away from the Old Testament, but we do understand that he's saying, I am coming with a fuller, deeper revelation of what those laws were pointing to and what God's expectation is and desire is. So this sort of brings up, well, then how come believers disagree on this? So, so certainly, and maybe some of you certainly could feel that, well, definitely you should be giving 10%. You know, that, that, that's not even questionable. And then you have other Christians who will argue, well, based on what we've just looked at, that's not necessarily clearly prescribed in the New Testament, at least when it comes to tithing. Um, so let me offer maybe a couple of reasons why Christians disagree on this. And then I do want to lead us to what I think is a, a healthy biblical response. So one would be simply some believers see tithing as a part of the moral law. So we wouldn't question that the moral law, the Ten Commandments are in force. Uh, and there are some Christians that would try to argue that tithing fits under that moral law, which is binding. Another way some Christians interpret this is a little bit differently, and they would say that unless you find a clear prescription or statement in the New Testament that an Old Testament law is now fulfilled or ceases, you should go on the assumption that the Old Testament law is still enforced. So in other words, because Jesus never said, don't tithe, that therefore it's assumed giving 10% is still enforced and should be how believers determine what they give. A second possible reason might be, and, and these may sound not as weighty, but they are interesting, is simply pragmatic. Uh, in other words, uh, it's a real easy solution to figure out how much to give if it's just 10%. All you need to do is get out your calculator, punch in, you know, 0 0.10 of whatever income you have and say, bam, there it is. This is what God expects from me. So for some people, they might say, well, it's just, it's simple. That must be how God wants us to do it. And then there's a third possibility, which I think certainly as a pastor, you can feel, feel this, uh, that this is the traditional way to go. And there can be a fear, what if people misunderstand the New Testament model for giving? In other words, if we start to say, well, this isn't prescribed, 
like a command when you get to the New Testament, is that going to open the door for some Christians to misinterpret that and be like, well, that's great. I can just give whatever I want. And, and I think you're going to discover that to, to come away from looking at the New Testament model of giving with that conclusion is a complete distortion. So where this leads us then is returning back to our opening question. Well, then is there continuity or discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to tithing and giving? And here's my answer, yes and no. Uh, let me explain that. Uh, yes, there is continuity. In other words, there's consistency that the Old Testament does not go against the New Testament, nor does the New Testament go against or contradict the Old Testament. There's continuity on the practice of giving. And we'll see that. In other words, it is expected that God's people will give. And, and not just give up their time, but we're kind of including specifically here uh, finances, resources. So that's continuity. You're going to see there's discontinuity, I believe, in the practice of how that obligation is now met under the new covenant. So it's yes and no. Continuity in that the practice of giving is consistently taught. Moving now from the use of the word tithing to, to giving, which is how the New Testament describes this. And there's discontinuity. There's a distinction now in how that obligation is to be fulfilled and carried out under the new covenant. So to help us toward that goal, I want us to look at the model of giving in the New Testament. Uh, and so we're going to turn first to the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So look at a couple of different passages. Um, so go with me to 1st Corinthians 9, 13 through 14. And, and, and my desire here is, as it should be for all of us, we want Scripture to speak for itself. Not, not to tell us what is most convenient for us, not to say what is easiest for us, um, but, but what is scripture itself saying? And I think you're going to be hopefully somewhat surprised and challenged that the New Testament standard for giving is more complex than the Old Testament tithe and actually presents a higher standard of giving from the Christian. Uh, so look with me at 1 Corinthians 9. And verses 13 and 14. So 1 Corinthians 9 and verses 13 and 14. There we read this. Paul writes, Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar serve in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And, and Paul's in the middle of a discussion about how he set aside that right with the church in Corinth, that he worked as a tent maker so they wouldn't financially be burdened for him, but, but that was an exception. So notice that Paul assumes here the continuity between the Old Testament where the tithes and offerings supported the Levites 
who are devoted to God's work, that carries over into now how the church is to provide for the needs of those who spiritually feed them. So that, that's a perfect example where that responsibility of giving, the practice of giving, is still there. Uh, and Paul makes note of that. Staying in 1 Corinthians, look with me at 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. I'm referring to the same passages that some would say, well, this is saying you need to do a tithe. But if you look carefully at the context in chapter 16, Paul's referring to giving, but he's also referring to a special offering that's being collected uh, for the needy saints in Jerusalem. Uh, but we do find some guidelines here that would spill over into giving in general. So 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So it is a special offering that he's referring to. But we can sort of take from that passage one simple principle. Giving should be systematic. Uh, in other words, it, it should be regularly done. And I think we see that in terms of a church, even though we're not physically meeting, there are still monthly bills that have to be taken care of. There's fuel oil that gets delivered. There's utility bills. You know, we, we understand how important it is to, to at least have a regularity in our giving in the church. Uh, that it is a part of worship, not just something we fill in a blank spot in the sermon or in the Sunday service. So notice it should be done regularly, systematically. Um, then he says you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with one's income. So there is an element of giving here that reflects it it's, needs to be done proportionate to one's resources. And we'll come back to that because sometimes that is almost used by some as a license. Well, I, I don't really have that much money. And so God understands why my, my giving needs to be maybe quite small right now. But, but we'll come back to that. But, the, but there is an indication here. All of us will be giving different amounts. And so God's not saying, here's a set amount. Here's like a membership fee. You need to all be paying monthly. Uh, but recognizing giving is going to vary. It's proportionate to our resources. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you have two chapters back to back that deal with this issue of giving and, and provide us a model. Even though the circumstances are different, uh, Paul's following up here with the church in Corinth to say, you, you started this collection for the saints in Jerusalem, so you started this special offering, but, but you've kind of lagged behind now. And so to, to motivate them, he reminds them of what giving should look like. Uh, and this is where we're looking at this passage to say, 
What, what model does this present to, to you and me? Uh, that can be a means to help us give in a way that, that honors and glorifies God. So 2 Corinthians 8, and let me read verses 1 through 5. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So as you listen to that, you notice what Paul does. He's, he's not making a competition here, but he's trying to spur on the Corinthians to give like they should by holding up before them the model of the Macedonian believers. And he says, in spite of their circumstances, in spite of their very obvious known trials they're going through, they continue to model Christian giving. Uh, and so as you look carefully at that passage, you notice once again, giving is mentioned as being voluntary. Now, the reason I called this message our duty and delight, it is a duty, it is a command, as we've established, to give. But it should also be done willingly, because it should be a reflection of our love for God and our love for his people who the offering often helps to provide for needs in our body of Christ. So notice giving should be voluntary. Uh, it is to be intentional. Uh, you know, we, we should think about giving as an act of worship. So if for some chance we, we only give based on what's in our wallet that at that moment or what change we have in our pockets, that's not intentional giving. We, we, we should think through our giving. It's an important act of worship. So you see, it's voluntary. It's intentional. Notice he does highlight about these believers in Macedonia that they gave not just what they were able, but even beyond their ability. So although giving is to be proportionate to our resources, it is also to be sacrificial. Um, that, that it is to, to stretch us uh, and sometimes take us to the point where, where we have given and, and we need to rely on God now to provide for our needs. So we've got giving that is voluntary. It, it should be intentional, well thought out, prayed over, sacrificial. And then clearly in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, it's ultimately motivated by love for God. Because notice what Paul says there. They did this not as we expected, but gave themselves first to the Lord. And so you can often look in a church, if, if giving is way off, it, it often reveals something about spiritually what's going on. So in, in one sense, we should be encouraged that we're meeting budget. Now, does that mean there's no spiritual problems or need for spiritual growth. No, it doesn't mean that. 
but but Paul's recognizing here those who give generously, give sacrificially, give motivated by God's love, will display that they have given themselves first and foremost to the Lord. So you could argue that giving both in the Old and New Testament ultimately was about, do you love God? Do you trust him? Will you follow his word? But now let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So 2 Corinthians 9 Paul continues to talk about giving. Uh, and look at 2 Corinthians 9 and verses 6 through 8 uh, to get us started here. Notice Paul says, remember this. So you, you hear that and you're reminded, not that they've never heard this before. And certainly in this letter, you could argue he just talked about it. But this is something I think all Christians, we need to be reminded of. Uh, we need a refresher on, on what, what is giving. Um, what determines what I put in the offering plate? So he continues verses 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So Paul states a general principle, uh, sowing and reaping. We see that mentioned in Galatians as well, not just in terms of one's finances, but in life in general. You, you sow what you reap. Well, Paul now takes that principle and applies it to giving. And, and he's reminding us, when we give joyfully to the Lord, voluntarily, as an act of worship, and, and it's incumbent upon every believer to be giving. So it, it's not the financial weight of a church isn't to fall on just one family or one individual. As much as they want to be giving generously to the Lord, it, it falls on all of us in the body of Christ. But Paul says, you realize that when you give generously and you learn to give out of love for God and obedience to God, that God always outgives you. And, and this isn't presenting a prosperity gospel, you know, so you put $20 in the offering plate and then on the way walking out the door of church, you find $40. And it's like, wow, God, you, you multiplied it. No, but this is saying in your life in general, you will find that all of your needs will be met. When you don't withhold from God that which he has generally provided you with. And what a reminder, because often all of us feel the stress and strain of probably finances, whether you are in retirement years, uh, whether your job's been affected by uh, COVID and, and layoffs and things like that, that, that we all feel that concern of, well, how, how am I going to make ends meet? And, and that's a true concern. And, and God, as we see, expects us to handle our finances wisely. But at the same time, he does not expect us 
to withhold from him his, his provision for us. And that constant reminder here and, and comparing if you, if you wanted the net worth of probably the average believer that Paul's writing to in Corinth, uh, we would far exceed that net worth. We, we would be seen as we are today by many in third world countries as we, we all of us are seen as somewhat wealthy. I mean, we, we have homes that have more than one or two rooms. You know, we, we open a refrigerator and our refrigerator is, is full. Even though sometimes we open it and make that comment, well, there's nothing here to eat. Uh, you know, we don't see it, but it's there. And so this reminder to us that Paul's saying, we are to give generously, uh, voluntarily, not out of compulsion, uh, which would kind of tell us that's similar to the Old Testament. If, if we're giving out of just a sense of guilt or giving to try to somehow bribe God to think we're a good person, that, that nullifies the gift given. Let's go to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and verses 15 through 20. So in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to thank the church in Philippi for a gift that they have delivered through Epaphroditus. And, and that gift may have been consisting of material supplies. It may have included possibly some financial support and help for him. Uh, but we want to listen to what he says about this gift in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 4. Uh, we're going to see him echo the same model we've seen in First and Second Corinthians and now in Philippians. Beginning at verse 15, Paul writes, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so there you have Paul speaking again about a gift that was intentionally given. It was sacrificially given. Uh, they gave it out of a desire to want to help Paul, but even greater out of a desire to be pleasing and obedient to the Lord. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, talking about what, what is a Christian on the subject of, of giving. C.S. Lewis says that our difficulty and our problem is never that we give too much, but we give far too little. And that's really what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm not focusing on the dollar amount you gave me. Because he doesn't want us to misread the importance of giving in love to God. But he says the way in which you gave, that you met and modeled what true giving is, testifies to your love for Christ and says, basically, that will have eternal implications 
for you. And then one final passage we can turn to is go to the pastoral epistle of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6 and 17 through 19. So scripture provides us with a very balanced completion of what giving is. Uh, and so here in 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul giving instruction to Timothy on the sensitive subject of finances, riches. Uh, we're going to have some people say riches are wrong, they're sinful. Others may be elevating poverty as a sign of holiness and piety. Uh, he writes this and tells Timothy in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of that, may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, earlier in the chapter, he said the love of money is the root of, a, of all evil. But money itself, finances itself, are not evil. Uh, they come from the hand of God. And so here we see the importance of for those that God in the church materially blesses, who, who we might say have the spiritual gift of giving, uh, excessive resources that they want to offer back unto God, that they should do that with the acknowledgement that what is of most importance is what the eternal value is of their giving to the work of the Lord. And so all of us in one way or another are hopefully investing in eternal projects, that even our weekly offering is a giving onto something much greater than keeping the church running, but continuing the work of the Lord. And so now to, to bring us back to Yes, there is continuity and discontinuity between tithing and giving when it comes to the Old Testament. But the New Testament model is one that holds really a higher standard because it looks at the heart and the gift, but looks at the heart from which that gift is given. And so I, I want to leave you with this thought in 2 Corinthians 8, where we were reading Paul gets to the point where he says to the believers, uh, I want you to excel in these certain things and mentions key areas of the Christian life. And then he concludes and says, and I want you to excel especially in giving. And, and the tense of that word he uses in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 is I want you to excel like continually, not, not just through this special offering, but, but I want this to be a display of your Christian life. So if we are to, in our individual way before the Lord, excel and lead the example in giving, how do we do that? Well, let me give you two steps that require prayer and, and more thought on. Uh, the first is to approach giving from the perspective of stewardship, not ownership. So approach giving and, and how you handle 
your, your finances from the perspective of stewardship and not ownership. I know we all know this, but we, like Paul said to the readers in Corinth, I remember this, um, everything we have has come from God. You know, whatever you earn on your jobs, he's given you the health and ability to do that. Uh, whatever you have acquired in life, your home, whatever, is, is a blessing from God. And so too often we look at those things as, well, well, it's my money. How much of my money should I give to God? And, and that's looking at it as if you owned it and you're going to share it with God. Whereas stewardship is saying, all of this has come from the hand of God. How does God want me? To, to use that in a way that honors him. And some practical examples which will challenge you in this area are, many of you know the government has been issuing stimulus checks. And you've probably, most of you have gotten one. If you've gotten one, what has been your response? Has it been, this is great. I, I really needed this. I know what I can do with that. Or has your response been, what a blessing. I wasn't counting on this. It certainly is needed. But, but have you wrestled or at least prayed about, does God want you to, to give some of that to his work? Now, now, notice the challenge here is, according to the model of giving, there's not a yes or no answer on that. So some of you maybe are like, yeah, I want to I give back a portion of that. And you determine that. Someone else maybe is like, no, I don't want to. But I think the key is, are you willing to pray about that? And, and is your mindset first when you get something like that? Or in a couple of months when you get your tax return? We know what the general populace response is. Tax return is like, oh, free money. You know, now we can go out and go to Allard's and get the furniture set we want. Now, now there's nothing wrong with using a tax return for a purchase if you need something. But do we also stop and think, well, wow, that's not my tax return, although I worked and, and things like that. This is God's. And, and should I pray about and give some of that or all of it back to the Lord? Or what about a bonus you get at work or, or when you get a raise at work? You know, is it more like, well, I earned that. I worked hard for that. That's my money. Or are we moved to seriously say, what, whatever income we're receiving, however it comes in, first it's God's. And, and I'm a steward of that. And we'll be held accountable to that. And I, I guess the second step following that is simply prayerfully ask God, how can you manage your affairs more effectively so you can give more, not less. Prayerfully ask God, how can you manage your, your finances, your personal affairs in a way that would enable you to give more, not less? And I think sometimes this is where, and you know, Christians can fall short on this. They, they just look and are like, well, you know, here are all my bills. This is all I can give. Now, could that be, we're not talking about dollar amount, but could that be because maybe you're not handling and managing your finances as well as you can be? Because 
we can all, I'm sure, improve on how we budget, how we manage things. Because our goal should always be, if you think about this, if we went with a strict 10%, the Old Testament, which we already saw and the people gave much more than that. But if we went with a strict 10%, the Old Testament, are, are we comfortable in saying that, yeah, that's all God expects from us in the New Testament? That based on all that Christ has done for us, God is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm settling for that. I think all of us would want to be moved like Paul does in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He talks about giving, but compares it to, don't forget what God has given you in Christ. So we should all want to periodically evaluate our budgeting, our strategies for our expenses, uh, and say, what, what could we possibly be doing? to enjoy the blessings God's given us, which I, there's nothing wrong with that, but then also to be able to manage things in such a way that our goal is always, we wanna be able to give more, not less to him. As I hope by, by these last two weeks of looking at this full picture, we're, we're leaving saying, I really want to follow God's model for giving. Not the one that I think is easiest for me, or the one that I'm always used to hearing is, you know, just give this percentage off the top, but, but to actually give as God has said we will should give. Uh, and those who sow generously will reap generously. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we began this worship by remembering that you are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, uh, that, that we are wrong when we assume that what we have in our lives belongs to us. And so I pray that we would be challenged in our thinking, uh, Lord, that for some they're giving as they should, and they should take comfort in that and assurance in that and rejoice in that. But Lord, all of us need to continually be open to examining our giving in light of both the continuity and discontinuity that we see in the Old and New Testament. Lord, may we give in all things, constantly mindful of what you have given us in Jesus Christ, your son. We pray in his name. Amen.